0: Na'mo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa. Na'mo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa. Na'mo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa. bhuthaṁ dhammaṁ saṅkhaṁ namasaṁ. Well, oh, good afternoon to everyone gathered here at Amravati and also um, watching from afar uh, or watching a recording. Yeah. Uh, so, to, uh, today is the last of the Sunday afternoon talks of this Rains Retreat of 2021. And uh, the theme for today is Holy Shift, with an F Holy Shift, the liberation of stream entry. Again, I don't think of these titles. They're suggested by various members of the community. I thought this was a uh, suitable topic and also neatly phrased to get the attention. Uh, so uh, I thought I would offer some reflections on this this theme this afternoon for, for everyone's benefit. First of all, I'd like to, stay, uh, to state that um, talking about stream entry uh, as a theme for a Dhamma teaching. I'm not trying to make any claims or, say, uh, putting that out as something that I've, uh, uh, I've accomplished. That's not the, the purpose of such a talk. It's really the purpose is to uh, look at the, um say the uh, the way that this principle is used in the teachings and how we might uh, apply that within our own lives and to see how these principles uh, relate to our own, uh, say, spiritual maturation and bringing uh, the experience of dukkha to an end or well, the uh, stream entry uh, for those who are not so familiar with such a term is uh, the the first of four levels of realization or awakening that uh, are described in uh, the buddha's teachings and uh, and the um, the insight that constitutes stream entry, and the, the str- by the way, the stream that is entered in the phrase stream entry is the eightfold path. There's a, a dialogue with Venerable Sariputta, and he says, the stream, the stream, what is the stream? The stream is the eightfold path. And that's the, the stream that's being uh, entered into in the, in the phrase stream entry. And uh, many times in the teachings... Uh, when uh, a a person uh, realizes that that level of um of insight they they reach that point of spiritual maturity then uh, often that realization is stated in, in very simple ways so for example um in, in the, the the buddha's first discourse to his five companions in the deer park um Outside of Varanasi, when uh, Kandanya, uh, one of his uh, friends, realizes the truth of what the Buddha has, uh, has been saying, and then his heart uh, awakens to, uh, the, to the Dhamma, he has that first reaches that first stage of realization. Then it's phrased in, in uh, very simple terms: samudaya sabantang niroda damanti Whatever is subject to arising is subject to cessation so conceptually or intellectually that's not very challenging you know, what begins ends you know, if whatever arises passes away so as a concept that's not difficult to, to grasp um, but it's, uh, the point is that it's not just a concept but rather it's a, a change of view or a change of heart there's a way that that simple truth is uh, known in a direct and complete way or the implications of that of that uh, observation sort of reverberate through the the whole of uh, the the uh, one's being or the whole of the, m- the mind and changes the the point of view changes the perspective uh, another uh, way that uh, that um, that kind of change of view is is described is when uh, is in terms of causality and so when the, when the wanderer sariputta uh, upatissa Met one of the, those uh, other uh, the uh, first disciples, Venerable Asaji, when Venerable Asaji was walking on his arms round um, in uh, in the the town, and uh, the uh, wanderer Upatissa Sariputta had uh, been struck by the the demeanour, the kind of composure and peacefulness of this. This other wa- this other wanderer, this other monk, uh, venerable Asaji, he asked him, you know, well, who are you? What's your spiritual practice? What is it that you've understood? You're very calm. You're very bright. You're very peaceful. Um, what teaching do you follow? And then venerable Asaji said, well, you know, I'm just a, a beginner in this. I'm only new, um, uh, and but I can pass on to uh, to you the the, um, the essence of the teaching from uh, from my master, from the from the Buddha. And then he, he said that, uh, was again a, a famous phrase that's repeated a number of times in the suttas, ye dhamma hetu Pabava and so forth, uh, whatever things have arisen from, the, from a cause then that uh, the Tathagata, the, the Buddha, has, uh, has described the cause and also its cessation. This is the teaching of the Mahasamana, the, the great monk, uh, the great teacher. So about causality you know about causality again, um how things begin and if things begin, then they end, so conceptually or intellectually, these things are not uh, difficult to um understand get an idea of, but it's the uh, the implications like okay, if everything that arises passes away, what does that say about? The presumptions I have in the, uh, about the world, about my mind, about my body, my, my personality, about who and what I am. What does that say about what I call the world, about what I, what I call real and solid and true and, and reliable? So that's really where it, uh, uh, the, the, the change uh, of view happens. Uh, another way, one of the ways that um, stream entry is described is called a change of lineage. Uh, gotra, Bu. Gotra is a, is a, your clan or your lineage, and so that, uh, that that change of view or that radically shifted perspective, uh, the the shift, <laughs> is a, a change of lineage, and it's it's to do with um, say describing how that that um, that change happens, and particularly around the sense of who and what we are. So um, in the um, uh, in the teachings, uh, the uh, the Buddha describes ten fetters or ten, obst- uh, ten kinds of obstructions. A, a fetter is like handcuffs or chains, things that that limit us and tie us down, that that uh, cause us uh, stress or, or or bondage. And so, the um, the realization of stream entry is described as the breaking of of, of the first three of those ten fetters and um, the uh, the very first one on the list is Sakaya ditti or self-view. So that's kind of number one on the list is, is Sakaya ditti And the, so it's, it's worth contemplating that and this is a very very common uh, say theme in Lumpur Sumedha's teachings, Lumpur Chah, uh, as well in the forest tradition um, generally but uh, particularly over the years Lumpur Sumaita is very often talked about um, this, uh, say, the habitual uh, attitude of self-view, and the easy way to understand that is it's the idea that I am the body, I am the personality, this is all and everything of what I am. So that that sense of, yeah, I am a man, I am a woman, I am old, I am young, this is my name, this is my story, uh, this is my nationality, my age. Uh, these are my, my problems, my qualifications, and so on and so forth. The mind that takes those I am's to be an absolute reality, I am the body, I am the, pers- I am the personality, the, that is the establishment of self-view. So that, And the word itself, the Pali word, or Pali term, uh, Sakayaditi, is broken up into a, a very, uh, in, into very sort of clearly defined parts. Sa means true or real. Kaya is a body. Diti means view. So the view of the real body, or the or the view of the real person, um, and so it's not as though there isn't a body, <laughs> or there isn't a personality, or there isn't a story or an age, or and these conventions and and structures. There is a. a um, uh, certainly, you know, that's uh, you know, my, my name is on the program for today, for today, <laughs> you know, Ajahn Amaro, and so there are, there's the, this being sitting here with a microphone and a camera and a, and a number of people here in the temple at Amravati. Um, so there's a level of convention, um, but then it's recognizing this can only be a convention; it can only be a, a set of convenient fictions. There's nothing absolute about. Uh, what uh, we call our name or our story, or our, our role in the world, and so on and so forth, um, so that that um, uh, that very first of the fetters, Sakaya Ditti, is the thing that is in when the the, uh, the entry point. Um, to that the whole process of realization, that the establishment of stream entry, that level of realization, is recognizing, well, there's a body, there's a personality, there's, there are these particular characteristics, but they can't be the whole story. So the change of lineage then comes with that, uh, yes, they're my biological parents that uh, that have brought this being into existence, but that's not uh, all and everything of of what you can call the the source of life or the the origin or the basis of of what's real, what, what we are. And so, the change of lineage, as I understand the use of the term, it, it's really that shift of a view from from being a self-centered perspective that I am this person who was born from Tom and Pat Horner. Um, and my you know, my grandparents, Karl Goldschmidt and Madeleine Barat, and um, Charles Horner and uh, 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 Mabel Hater, my my paternal grandmother, uh, the uh, and so on and so forth back into the sort of, uh, historical past, the biological past. Well, yes, there is that family tree, but uh, uh, in, in essence. Our lineage is that of the Dhamma, the fundamental reality of what what is, what we are, is the Dhamma itself. So it's a shift from uh, our lineage of being our biological family to the lineage being that of of Dhamma itself. And I feel that uh, it's not not being disrespectful to our parents and our families and so on, (laughs) but rather uh, seeing a deeper truth, like you can say the sun rises in the east and it sets in the west. Uh, Yes, conventionally speaking that's true but it's only true to a certain extent by living on the surface of this planet. Yeah, if, if that is not taken as the absolutely true and, to, uh, and um, say inviolable truth, uh, and instead we say, well, yeah, the, the sun rises and sets in the way that we experience it because of us living on the surface of this planet and the planet spinning round, but the sun isn't actually <laughs> rising and setting. It, it appears to because of the spinning of the earth. And our point of view, but uh, in itself, there is the 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 sun and the planet spinning around, and the the, the earth uh, circling around looping around the sun and that's what creates the effect of sunrise and sunset so it's looking at our uh, our experience of of being of the experience of reality from uh, say a broader perspective, a more profound and more a more real perspective. That's what uh, that change of, of view is about. The other two uh, fetters, they're, they're called samyojana So the first one is self-view, Sakaya The second one is doubt. And that doesn't mean doubt uh, you know, <laughs> about uh, what was I going to do today or... Um, uh, yeah. it's tomorrow the 18th or the 19th it's not a kind of uh, a kind of a doubt about bits of information but essentially it's doubt about what is the path to liberation and what is not the path to liberation again this, that's how I've always been taught and understood that so it's not just the mind caught in any kind of questioning but it's that the mind getting beyond doubt about what is the the path to liberation and what is not the path to liberation so that's the the second of the the ten fetters, and then the third one is called silapata paramasa, so that's uh, a long Pali word, which literally means the wrong grasping of of conventions, or particularly um, of of virtue or religious um, standards or religious uh, knowledge, but it can be taken to be convent- conventions generally, and so uh, many many of Lumbardha's teachings he. Focused on that and how the mind gets attached to conventions, one of his most uh, uh, beloved and helpful teachings is called uh, is um, is about this this theme. If you you can find it in the collected teachings of Ajahn Chah about um, about conventions, and uh, it begins the the Dhamma talk begins with the, the 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 sentences: uh, all the things of this world are merely conventions of our own creation. Having established them, we get lost in them, giving, all, giving rise to all kinds of trouble and confusion. And uh, and he would distinguish between um, uh, Kong Samut, conventional reality, and Kong Vimut, uh, the, the ultimate reality or, or the perspective that, that uh, conduces to liberation, the ultimate perspective and the conventional perspective. So that, and he would use examples of things like money, um, or you know, which side of the road to drive on, um, the societal conventions about making anjali, or handshaking and so on, that uh, he would say, you know, one country shaking hands is totally proper, in another country shaking hands is improper. You know, that we establish these conventions and then take them to have absolute value. So those three, uh, 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 Self uh, attachment to self-view attachment uh, uh, having doubt about what's the path and what is not the path and then thirdly attachment to conventions those are the first three fetters and stream entry constitutes the the breaking of those three fetters the heart clearly sees through uh, attachment to the body and the personality and beyond doubt about what's the path and what is not the path and it it (coughs) excuse me And as a clear recognition of, of a convention can only be a human agreement. Like, what is the correct side of the road to drive on? It's a human agreement. You know, in, in the UK, uh, we drive on the left. Uh, In, uh, if you go across the channel to France and the the continent, then they drive on the right. Um, Some countries, they've decided that they used to drive on the left and they change and they drive on the right. You know, they, <clears throat> the 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 human community makes a decision, and then that's called correct. Or, or when uh, a currency goes out of use, like the uh, uh, in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, they used to use the pound, the Irish pound, and then they stopped using it, and then they they now use the euro. They kind of okay, the old Irish pounds become um, uh, defunct; they're, they're no longer a valid currency, and then the euro becomes the currency. It's a human decision, so attachment to conventions and seeing that these human agreements have a tremendous power over our minds but when we can see through them and understand that these are simply human agreements that we uh, we say uh, pick up and use according to certain circumstances certain situations then um then the heart is not limited by the conventions. We can still use the conventions, like say in the Buddhist monastery, <laughs> we have many, many conventions: the correct way to wear the robe, uh, the correct way to begin a dhamma talk, to end a dhamma talk, and uh, the things that are appropriate to to, to talk about in a, in a dhamma teaching, and so on and so forth. We have lots of conventions, but the uh, so it's not a matter of uh, defying conventions or refusing to drive on the left. You know, say I'm, I've I've let go of of Pataparamasa. Uh, I'm going to drive wherever I like, that's, that's called uh, foolishness, or defying conventions is not the same as transcending conventions. Uh, so that transcending or letting go of conventions is understanding this is a human agreement that exists for a particular purpose, and it can be a skillful means, just as the, the, the appropriate way to put robes on, or the uh, appropriate way to speak and... Uh, uh, or the, the the appropriate side of the road to drive on, depending on the time, the place, the situation. So the, that breakthrough into um, stream entry, also uh, the word breakthrough is another way of describing it, abhisamaya, uh, the breakthrough uh, to that change of perspective. Uh, has a, a radical effect that the buddha praised this or, or spoke of this many many times saying this makes a difference like don't don't overlook this and there's a, a number of teachings like uh, uh, in the Sangyuta Nikaya, the, the connected discourses there's a whole uh, a whole section called the breakthrough uh, abhisamaya Sangyutta, the connected discourses about the breakthrough it's uh, chapter 13 uh, and then so there there's a whole series of uh, of the teaching is quite similar in nature and the first one is called The Fingernail uh, and the Buddha reaches down and scratches the ground and says, what do you think? Uh, is the amount of dirt under my fingernail uh, and, the, and the size of the great earth itself, you know, between those two, which do you think is greater? You know, the dirt under my fingernail or the great earth? Is it, Oh, venerable Sir, <laughs> the amount of dirt under your fingernail is, is very small. It's it's uh, it's negligible. The amount, uh, the size of the great earth itself, is is vast, I- immeasurable. It's enormous. And then the Buddha said, exactly. Well, the the amount of suffering that uh, one who has made the breakthrough, uh, who has realized stream entry, the amount of future suffering they can expect to experience is comparable to the dirt under my fingernail. The amount of suffering uh, the one who has not made the breakthrough can expect to experience is comparable to the great earth. <laughs> and then he, in each of the suttas, they're all quite short. He gives these similar comparisons. Like, what do you think is greater? It's, uh, a, a, a few specks of gravel, the size of mustard seeds, or the Himalayan mountain range? You know, what, what do you think is greater? Oh, the few specks of gravel, the size of mustard seeds, is very small. The, the great Himalaya is, is very large. <laughs> So it's uh, uh, you know these kind of attention grabbing images that the, the Buddha gives, like saying, you know, if this if that if this level of realization is um, is reached, if this if this insight is actualized, it makes a difference. <laughs> it makes a big difference. So this is really something not to to uh, ignore or not to look down on. In a different teaching. Um, uh, much later on in the Suttanikaya, the connected discourses about the the Four Noble Truths uh, in section <coughs> section fifty six in the uh, sanghita there's <coughs> this very compelling image that uh, the Buddha says, and and uh, again, it's very attention grabbing. He says, so if uh, if you were uh, offered a deal whereby uh, you were pierced by a hundred spears in the morning. A hundred spears at midday and a hundred spears in the evening, every day for a hundred years. And if you do the sums on that, it's about ten million piercings, roughly, give or take. <laughs> so, hundred spears uh, skewered with a hundred spears in the morning, the midday, and the and, and the evening every day for a hundred years. Um, uh, but at the end of that time, you were guaranteed to make the breakthrough. To the realization of the Four Noble Truths, to, to reach stream entry, to, to recognize the deathless. That so if you are guaranteed, uh, that, that you would reach that, that, that level of insight after a hundred years of being skewered three times a day with a hundred spears every day, uh, you should make the deal. A wise person would make that, should make that deal. But again, he's, he's, the Buddha is extraordinarily gifted at getting our attention. <laughs> it's a very gory kind of bargain that one one might would, uh, would never come about but it's a it's a compelling image saying it's worth it because um the uh, the 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 value uh, and the spiritual value of of this insight is such that uh, it uh, it changes the entire landscape uh, uh for us as as, as living beings and uh, one of, the, one of the, the basis of that is that uh, according to the Buddhist understanding of things, and is, and is voiced many times in the teachings, the Buddha said that uh, one who has reached that level of stream entry, has made that breakthrough, then they will definitely realize complete and full enlightenment within seven lifetimes. Now I, I realize that uh, many Buddhist practitioners, or meditators and such don't like the idea of past lives and future lives but it's, it's, this is very much a, a sort of matter of fact presence within the teachings and personally I've always been quite comfortable with that kind of framing of things um, but, and, and, and certainly within the context of this, this teaching it's something that is, is, is significant But uh, so the Buddha said uh, many times so one who has made the breakthrough will definitely reach full enlightenment uh, within seven lifetimes. And there, and also that if stream entry has been realized, then it's impossible for that being to be uh, reborn in any of the lower realms. The gates to the lower realms are closed so that uh, as someone who's realized stream entry, they can't be born in the animal world, they can't be born in the hell realms, they can't be born uh, in the hungry ghost realms. And again, I, I realize that some people they don't like the idea of of these kind of Painful bursts. Or some people, when you say this, people say, what's wrong with being born as an animal? Yeah, animals are superior to a lot of humans. <laughs> so, again, uh, not to, wishing to argue the point, but um, so within the Buddhist cosmology and Buddhist psychology, it's, it's recognized that the animal realm is, um, uh, is a, it's, it's very difficult for a uh, being born in the animal realm to develop the kind of reflective wisdom and the mindfulness to be able to consider their own existence to to reflect upon causality or to reflect upon you know the the, the fact that all the rises passes away or to or to reflect upon their own nature as <coughs> as a living being as something that is is conditioned and uh, as a and their, and, the, and that their view is partial that uh, the uh, even if we might know animals that are very kind, very, very, uh, very uh, noble, very, very lovable, um, the the understanding is that the animal realm is one that's a very uh, instinctual and is very difficult for animals to develop a kind of reflective wisdom, uh, a kind of attitude of mind that can consider the the nature of experience and develop a kind of clarity or a, a disentangling of the of awareness. From like and dislike, fear and desire, uh, and the the imperatives of of territory and uh, of um, the uh, the hunt for food, the protection of one's young, uh, and so on and so forth. So the um, <coughs> the the benefits, or the 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 kind of. the the blessings of realizing stream entry, I would say, are many uh, many and varied and are very strongly underscored uh, in the Buddha's teaching. And uh, one of the ways, when I I come across, or I'm talking to people who don't like the idea of past lives or future lives, and talking about this, no more than seven rebirths, guaranteed total enlightenment within seven lifetimes, Uh, and this doesn't really have a a scriptural basis, but I I find it's it's a helpful way to talk about it, um, is to say, uh, and I've said this a, a few times to a number of people over the years. Say, well, if you don't like the idea of future lifetimes, you can consider it uh, in terms of you can't get totally lost more than seven times. And each time that you get lost, you get carried away by greed or opinionatedness or aversion or fear. You, you can you can get carried away. You can get born into some uh, some project or some conflict or some. Some uh, some desire object, but you can only get totally lost seven in no more than seven times, Uh, and that uh, uh, I know that's not not a sort of scripturally supported. (laughs) uh, But I feel it's it's a helpful way of understanding it because if a level of insight has been developed, uh, uh, and uh, there's a degree of understanding and maturity, still the forces of desire and aversion operate. So, for example. The, um, the, the second level of enlightenment was called a, a, a once-returner, sakadagamin, that the, uh, the, uh, the psychological factors of, uh, of ill will, the apada, and, and sense desire, raga, they're diminished but they're not removed altogether. So, so a stream entry can still feel uh, sense desire and ill will. They're reduced but they're not, they, they don't disappear altogether. The next level, uh that of a non-return anagami then uh, sense desire and ill will have ended but uh anagamis have uh, you know, other more subtle uh, attachments uh, and obstructions there's still five more fetters to uh, to say, to shed <laughs> but uh so uh w- and one of the teachings in this respect i feel is very very helpful um and also in relation to the fact you know, you can you can fall off you can lose your way you can uh, drift off the path um but only to a certain degree, that uh, a teaching that Lumpur Cha gave, which is, um, he said that 50 to 70% of the practice is knowing that you should let go and not being able to. So you can see the mind is being caught up in some irritation, some anxiety, some desire, and there's the wisdom faculty of saying, this is really stupid. You said you weren't going to get caught up in this again, and now you know the mind's really caught up in this, or that yeah you know, you, know you, you really ought to let go of this uh, this anxiety or this this uh, this um kind of spiteful feeling this this jealous feeling it's this isn't helpful but and as a recognition that it's unwholesome it's not it's not beneficial but you know, the, you know it's 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 foolish to be held on to, but you can't. Can't quite <laughs> affect the the letting go. So uh, that's a, a one one way of, of relating to this idea of no more than seven lifetimes. Uh, and also, yeah, the, the the gates to the lower realms are closed. It's like, yeah, you can get confused, you can get lost, you can get caught up. But even if you get caught up, you get lost. Then it's it's impossible to to get drawn into things that are yeah, uh, uh, say irreversibly destructive or unwholesome that the uh, that uh, are harmful to others or harmful to, your, to yourself that, that 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 kind of absorption into the, the lower realms uh, is uh, no longer possible so one of the interesting things that I felt to, to also talk about today was that when you you uh, look at Lumpo Chara's teachings or Lumpur Samadhi's teachings you read their books or, or hear their Dhamma talks they the, um, Neither of them uh, speak very much about levels of attainment. It's it's very, very rare Um, and um, um, say uh, I didn't spend a huge amount of time with Lumpu Cha in Thailand, just a couple of years and I couldn't speak Thai so I would get most of the teachings through uh, other Sangha members translating into English. But you know, I've read many of his his teachings in translation over the years, and so it's it's very very rare that he talks about stream entry or being a once return or a non return or an arahant. Um, and um, and many years ago, when he was asked about this, then uh, he or uh, he also wouldn't talk very much about uh, about reaching different levels of jhana like first level of, of mental uh, mental concentration in uh, of uh, the states of absorption first jhana second jhana third jhana fourth jhana and one of the reasons why he wouldn't talk about it is because people uh, take the idea of entering jhana or they take the idea of be, being a stream enterer and then it gets distorted and sort of and it's kind of ironic but it gets co-opted by the habits of self-view. Like I want to be a stream enterer. Like you know, it's a kind of a personal ambition. Like I want to, have, I want to, to uh, get a, a a doctorate, or you know, I want to win a Nobel Prize, or I want to have a big house, or I want to be a famous writer, or you know, that uh, you know, the, the uh, it's got the label of a spiritual quality, but it gets co-opted by the habits of self-view, by ambition. And identification, yeah, I want to be a success, and being a spiritual success- rather than being a worldly success, being rich or or, or famous or influential, uh, then you want to be a spiritual success, so look, I want to be a stream enter, I want to be an arahant, and so the uh, Lumpu would recognize that it's very easy for the mind to to take these wholesome principles and then grasp it and gets taken over by self view and conceit and then the the chasing after that particular goal, the the tanna the desire to become, then it creates more of an obstacle. Uh, and so that, uh, and I remember when somebody asked about that years and years ago. I, I think when I was a, a novice in Thailand, uh, Lumphochar said it's much more helpful to talk about building paramita. Then, you know, reaching this level or that level uh, and, and that kind of accomplishment, just steadily work away at building parameter, building spiritual virtues. So you're still doing the necessary work, but the mind isn't being uh, sort of drawn into this kind of competition or ambition and, and such like. Um, and uh, well, I've even heard of people going on meditation retreats and. And if they have a cert, uh, some kinds of spiritual experience or meditation experiences of one kind or another, then they'll be given a kind of sotapanna certificate at the end. I have never actually seen one, <laughs> I fully confess. Uh, but the stories have have, uh, have reached me over the years that you can be uh, given a sotapanna, a stream enterer certificate at, you know, at the end of the retreat if you could have uh, passed the exam according to the view of the teacher. So I don't know if that's just idle rumor or... Or, or what? But um, I would say it, it highlights the the <laughs> the, uh, the 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 kind of um, spiritual materialism uh, that can can slip into the picture. That you know, wanting a certificate because it's not the certificate, not having a, a a validation from outside or an authority figure saying yes, you know, well done, you've made it. You know, here's the piece of paper to prove it, or or an impressive senior person saying, yes, I, I I recognize this is where you're at. Um, but rather, what's happening within our own heart? What's the, what's the, the genuine change of attitude, the, the change of view in our own heart? Uh, many years ago, um, and, and Lumpur Sumedha would often refer to this in, in Dhamma teachings, he'd say, when he was a young monk, he tried to, to get Ajahn Chah to tell him whether he was a stream enterer or not, kind of trying to... To get lumpo uh, to lumpo answer that question or also clarify that for him and uh, apparently again I, I wasn't there but uh, according to lumpo accounts he uh, lumpo very bluntly said if you're still doubting it means you haven't <laughs> you haven't reached that point yet if, uh, that um, uh, you know the, the fact you have to ask would indicate that 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 point hasn't been uh, arrived at yet so, because we all like valid—I mean, I wouldn't say we all like—but it's very common for us as human beings to to appreciate that validation when a, a parent says, "Oh, well done! That's really marvelous or fantastic! I'm really proud of you," or a school teacher or a university teacher. Or you get sort of top marks in the class, or you you get a you know, first class degree, or you get uh, you get a promotion, you you win an award, and you—you oh, know—there's something in us very, very naturally. Uh, feels a, f- a flush of enjoyment or de- uh, delight we, we feel validated the work that we've been doing, things we put effort and attention into have been validated but um, that, uh, and I feel that what's, what's very skillful in, in Lumpur Char's approach is it's like, well yes, that validation, it might be sweet but it's just a sweet taste <laughs> the, the important thing is what's really uh, happening in your own jitta, or when um, people with, with uh, uh, ask him, you know, Lumpur, are you an Arahant? Are you fully enlightened? He'd say, well, what, what does it help if I am or if I'm not? How, how does that help you? What's, the impo- what, uh, what's important is for you to, uh, to, figure, uh, to figure, out, figure out why you're not an Arahant. <laughs> don't, don't bother yourself with uh, if I'm an Arahant, but ask yourself why you are not. You know, and so turning the attention back on your own heart, your own mind, and then to develop confidence in the insight uh, the uh, the kind of perspective that's there within your own jitta. Uh, so uh, Lumpur Sumato very much followed uh, Lumpur charles example and i remember many years ago i was uh, sitting on a 10 day retreat um, in in uh, in america in the in, uh, spirit rock center in california with uh, Lumpur sameto and uh, about four or five days into this 10-day retreat, I realized every single Dhamma talk he's giving is about self-view, doubt, and, uh, and attachment to conventions. <laughs> every single talk was about making the, the breakthrough, of uh, breaking through these first three fetters, Sakaya Ditti, Vichyikicha, Silapata He never mentioned stream entry once in the whole 10 days. But every talk was about letting go of self-view, letting go of uh, doubt, letting go of attachment to conventions, and <laughs> so in, in exactly the same way, like Longpo Chaur talking about building paramita, he's like he's actually talking about the themes, giving people the tools to work with those areas, and uh, but not sort of dangling the, You know, if you do this, then you will get you know, this. Uh, you'll get this gold medal, or you'll win the prize, or you'll get a certificate, or. You know you'll get the approval of of uh, the the teacher, but rather handing people the tools, teaching them how to do the work okay off you go <laughs> and then letting people make the do the work and and make the changes and and, and realize the changes uh, within within themselves and I feel that's a very that's a, a very skillful attitude because then it helps to to say um, to Undercut the habits of the the gaining mind, and that the the desire to become. And you know, as I speak of, with a, a kind of personality type, <laughs> with a lot of bhavatana a lot of uh, achievement uh, conditioning, of and uh, liking success, liking approval, and and having depended a lot on that, or relished a lot of that sense of approval or achievement and and affirmation from outside, and and recognizing how that can be you know a real burden a real stress upon the heart and so i have really appreciated that that approach from from uh, these uh, great elders having said that <laughs> another perspective uh is that uh, if you go back to the to the sutras uh, um and um the the buddha's teachings about this you know he does say uh, emphasize or, or does give great praise or support this is something worth realizing this is something that is great, of great significance so I would say there's a way that we can hold uh, making a sincere effort uh, and working, doing the necessary work to uh, arrive at that level of realization without it being co-opted by the habits of becoming without, the, the, without that effort being overtaken by the habits of ambition or competition or, or the search for validation and such like so a number of years ago, um, uh, when I was living in, living in California uh, at a monastery, and uh, Ajahn Pasna was a co-abbot with me, and uh, we were encouraged to put together a book on uh, the Buddha's teachings on nibbana. And so we uh, sort of been collecting different sutta quotations. It's called the book's called The Island, and, and I did the first number of chapters, and Ajahn Pasna was doing the second group of chapters. And uh, it, took, it was about a 10-year-long project. It took us 10 years to put this together. And as we were sort of collecting material and talking with each other about how to, to formulate things, one of the points that he he made, uh, and he wanted to, to uh, say, include as a, a significant feature in, in the book, was he was saying how, you know, that, particularly in the West, people are very achievement-oriented. <laughs> and they want to sort of shoot for the... Uh, for the highest, they they want to get the sort of the best and the highest and the mostest. Um, and he he pointed out how you know if you if you look at the Buddha's teachings about stream entry, you know, it's a, it's there's hundreds or thousands of lay people who realize stream entry in the uh, in, in the Buddha's time. And he said, you know, it's people look at the idea of enlightenment as, uh, and think it's completely beyond their reach. It's sort of Olympic class spirituality. This is sort of uh, beyond the scope of uh, of the potential possibility of most people's lives you know, lay people's lives in particular because of the circumstances of of um you know a working life and a family life and many many of commitments and uh, worldly responsibilities uh but he said, you know, what I'd really like to do in this book is to emphasize how stream entry is is a very doable goal. It's, it's doable, and it's within the scope of of, of uh, everybody, any, any Buddhist practitioner, lay or monastic. And so, uh, I think put, uh, like four chapters of the of the book are all uh, teachings on stream entry, and uh, and he also talks about that in his his uh, little introduction that he he wrote. Uh, we each wrote our own piece at the beginning of the book and i felt that was a really uh, skillful approach saying that this is doable <laughs> this is not beyond the scope of, of any buddhist practitioner and um and so that rather than so sort of aiming at total enlightenment and feeling like you know you're never going to make it like if i can't if i can't win a gold lem- uh, uh, medal at the olympics there's no point there's no point in me going out for a run you know it's like uh well no it might be a good idea to go out for a run and get fit but you don't have to you don't have to get a gold medal at the Olympics to make it worthwhile going out for a run and getting fit and and bringing a bit of vitality and, and uh, uh, into the body and supporting your own well-being. So, uh, so I, it's a sort of shameless plug for our book, but I, I would recommend taking a look at the those four chapters in the island. They're called the spiritual sotapanna, the spiritual turning point. In the the I think those chapters. 16, 17, 18 and nineteen—if I remember correctly—and there's many, many teachings about stream entry gathered t- together there. And, and I feel that's that's a, a very, uh, a very helpful perspective. That this is something that's doable for everybody. And like I, uh, when people would ask them, "Puchar, you know, is it possible to?" To, um, to realize, for a layperson to realize stream entry. And he'd say things like, well, if you've got enough faith to come and spend a, an observance day at Papong then you've got enough faith to realize stream entry. You've got enough uh, faith to come and, and stay here on, on retreat. And that, that shows you, you've almost certainly got, a, in terms of, uh, of initiative, interest in Dhamma, interest in ending suffering, and the readiness to be patient to sit still, to deal with physical pain, the, the readiness to to work with your mind, that that would be a kind of comment that, that Lumpu Chah would make. He wouldn't guarantee it, like you know, if, you, <laughs> if you spend a week at Wapapong, you're guaranteed to become a stream entry, he would never say that. But to say, you know, don't, don't uh, ignore the, the, the faith that you have, the interest that you have, the readiness to, to work with your mind, that that's already here so it 's taking those ingredients and uh, and then being worked with in a skillful and appropriate way that 's just having a bag of a bag of flour and a and a a jug of water and, a, and some some eggs on the sh- uh, in, in the uh, on the shelves of the lard or in the fridge doesn 't mean you 've got a cake <laughs> it means you 've got some ingredients you have to put the ingredients together to uh, mix them up and bake them in the right way before you get a cake but um cha uh, uh, would point out that yeah you know, the the uh, if you've got the the faith to come and live in a place like, like a, a a meditation monastery and to commit yourself to to practicing the dhamma then that just the the ingredients are, are there don't don't overlook that you know it's, the, the potential is there so I, I feel that uh, this is something that's very very skillful also particularly um, uh, one of the themes I feel is is important for us to consider is that um in the west uh, what goals do we have for the, the, you know for the purpose of our lives what, what for most people they look forward to a comfortable retirement um to being looked after by people that, that they like and who like them um people look towards maybe um you know, say uh, the achievements of their children um or or to say trying to um uh, become famous as a as an actor or as a, an author or as a, someone on the television or on youtube or <laughs> whatsapp or tiktok <laughs> to to so sort of make your name uh, to get a reputation to be known um, uh, to um, to uh, get a nobel prize or at least a phd <laughs> you write you write some books that people admire and yeah, I'm not trying to put those things down. They they can have their value, and and the people who've who've written books or have established institutions uh, and brought things into the world, they certainly have, uh, you know, built hospitals or universities or you know established you know, monasteries and <laughs> supported monasteries that there there are beneficial things that we can do in the world but uh i would suggest that the, these are these are very worldly aims and have a worldly result and when we look at our life and look to say our, our life goals uh, i can't remember um you know, meeting that many people who place spiritual development as a, a kind of as a life goal it's like we don't have a uh a, a, a a kind of a languaging for that in the West. You know, I, I remember <laughs> many years ago, I, uh, my mother was driving uh, driving me back from the, my parents lived in Kent, and my mother was driving me back from their home in Kent here to Amravati, and we were on the on the motorway. And uh, usually, the, the family would avoid the subject of my my monastic life, my spiritual vocation, and so on. But uh, this sort of random moment, tootling along the, the, the motorway, my mother said, to us, "So, so, what do you see as the goal of your life?" You know, just apropos, nothing very much, you know, as sort we of tootling along. And I kind of thought for a moment, and I said, "Sainthood." And she kind of <laughs> nearly crashed the car at that point. <laughs> gave me a, a, a startled look, well, maybe not maybe maybe that 's too strong a word I'm not, maybe not quite the right word, like my son the saint would like <laughs> something my mother could not cope with okay my my son the abbot, all right, but you know sainthood but uh you know I feel that's that 's not totally ridiculous and uh, uh, and really having it as a a goal for one's life, uh, as, you know, stream entry, as a goal for one's life, is better than a you know, a good insurance plan or <laughs> booking a place in a retirement home or a um, uh, or trying to you know, uh, to write the great novel before you pass away. Again, I'm not trying to to belittle those things. I've written enough books myself to <laughs> to. Uh, to, to know, uh, you know it, it is enjoyable and can be valuable to put things into print. But uh, I feel that, that in terms of life goals, uh, uh, to put spiritual uh, maturity, spiritual development in, in, at the center, and whether you happen to you know, build a hospital or you happen to, to be uh, a television personality or happen to, to make some scientific discoveries, yeah, you know, all well and good. But the really important thing <laughs> is that the the heart has made that breakthrough uh, to to realization of the deathless, as that irreversible uh, insight, that uh, that unshakable uh, faith uh, in in dhamma, uh, unshakable realization of dhamma has has been actualized. And I would say, to consciously set that as a as a goal or as a direction in one's life, I don't, I don't feel it's out of order. I, so that uh, I uh, I'm quite. Uh, uh, say keen if you like <laughs> to uh, try and introduce this as something that is uh, say within the western world something that we can seriously think about or, or people can put in their in their lives or not feel they have to to sort of ignore or think of their spiritual development as a, as a sort of um, secondary issue to their uh, the, the really important things like you know the, the achievements of your children or the um, the the um, the retirement home or even the you know the, the plot you've booked in the graveyard you know that that uh i feel it's, it's quite skillful quite wise to to place that quality of spiritual development right at the center and speak and think in terms of our life goals to see well okay we've got this life we've got this mind this body there is this potential you know what's the, the most important thing that we can do with it what's the best we can do with it and, and, uh, I'm probably biased from my, my perspective, but I feel that getting a language in place or, or being able to articulate that as a culture in the Western world, so it not to sound like that, uh, you know, is something that's so sort of crazy or, or that, uh, is, is sort of out of the, the scope of possibility. And I remember also just again, even further back into my childhood, going back to sainthood, <laughs> I remember when uh, you know, I, I was the kind of child that always had lots and lots of questions for the, the, um, the, the, the vicar who was leading, teaching us at Sunday school, or, the, or school teachers, or I, I went to the kind of school that had a little Christian service at the beginning of each school day, at primary school and secondary school. So I always had lots of questions for the religious instruction teachers. And I remember I was quite young, about five or six, and I found out that you could only be a saint when you were already dead. I thought, well, that's stupid, <laughs> and that, and that, you, if you were in the Church of England, you couldn't be. Only Catholics became saints, and it, yeah, if you were in the Church of England, you couldn't become a saint. And I thought, well, that's not fair. You know, I was only five or six, so it was. <laughs> but I thought, well, yeah, we're C of E, aren't we? So, so uh, and that even if you did become a saint, you wouldn't be, a, you wouldn't properly be a saint until you're dead already. I thought, even at that age, I thought there's something wrong with that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say my. Uh, religious philosophy was was well worked out at that age, but rather that sense of uh, I feel that that spiritual fulfilment, spiritual maturity, is possible in, in this lifetime, and I would say certainly, uh, as as uh, talked about by by Ashan um, and emphasised by him in that in that book, and in numerous other situations, that it's doable, it's within our scope, and it's not not a, a, an unreasonable goal to set for oneself again not uh, on the basis of the desire to become or ambition or competition or uh, letting those worldly influences sort of co-opt the the initiative but to see this is this is what we can do with this human life this is a potential that we have and the other things that we can do on the worldly level in terms of helping society and being a A um, sort of beneficial member of the family and the the human community, they're all excellent, marvelous, sadhu, anamodana. But I would say, right at the very center, (laughs) what enables the the wholesome aspects of our life to really flourish is freeing the heart from greed, hatred, and delusion. So, in in uh, maybe the the last thing to share um, is a a very uh, one of the the short teachings that. That Ajahn Pasna quoted in in that that book was um, a little passage uh, from the um, the, there's a whole section of the um, uh, of the connected discourses called the Sotapati Sangutta, so the connected discourses about stream entry so you've got the Abhisamaya which is the 13th one chapter 55 section 55 is the um, the connected discourses about stream entry and there's lots and lots of teachings there and one of them, uh, uh, a little quote that, that he included is a passage that says, you know, if you have compassion for, for someone, if you really care about someone, then you will make efforts to, est- uh, to help them establish the uh, those qualities which conduce towards stream entry. And so there are f- uh, four of these. And uh, again, those of you who listen to, to Ajahn Pasana's Dhamma talks or read his books over the years will... Uh, no, he he kind of quotes this, this uh, collection of four qualities quite often. So, uh, number one on the list is sapurisa sangseva. These are the, the conditions that support the realization of stream entry. Sapurisa sangseva. So sa, meaning true or good or real. Purisa, person. Sangseva is association or coming close to. So drawing close to good people. So. That's So sort of number one on the list is like, who do you spend your time with? Who do you choose to draw close, draw close to? Uh, and so that, I would say, again, I'm probably biased, but choosing to spend time in a Buddhist monastery, <laughs> choosing to, to draw close to people who like to not kill, not steal, not engage in sexual misconduct, who, who don't lie, and uh, who have a, a spiritual development uh, as a, a um, central feature of their life. I would say you can be pretty uh, pretty sure they come under the Sapurisa category. These are good people, noble people, uh, helpful, uh, good friends to draw close to. So Sapurisa Sangseva, drawing close to good-hearted people. Another way of translating Sapurisa is a, a well-rounded person or someone whose life is, is thoroughly informed by mindfulness and uh, full awareness by someone who lives... A life based on, on sati sampajanya, mindfulness and full awareness, mindfulness and clear comprehension. So, A, well, uh, you know, a well-rounded person in terms of spiritual development and, and good, uh, good-heartedness. That's number one on the list, sapuri satsangseva. The second one is Sadhamma savana, so listening to, uh, to good teachings. Taking time to, to to listen or to read or to to attend to bring attention uh, to uh, spiritual teachings that that are beneficial that that liberate to put the 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 the, so the ideas or principles uh, into uh, into the mind to invite those into the mind that are gonna conduce towards peacefulness towards uh, liberation towards non-attachment towards simplicity towards harmlessness towards honesty that uh, so sadama savana the so hearing the the good dhamma uh, then the, the third one is uh, yoni so manasikara wise reflection? Cultivating that attitude of mind that explores, that's interested. It's like the active intelligence that examines. Well, why do I feel that way? Oh, well, that's interesting. I really didn't like that. Or hmm. Or, uh, this is uh, this is what praise feels like. This is what criticism feels like. You know, this is uh, the uh, um, the the mind. Feeling bright and happy for no particular reason. Here is the mind feeling miserable and down for no particular reason. Aha! Uh-huh, it's like this. So yoni so manasikara. There's many many aspects to that, but it's the reflective mind that that explores and examines experience. And uh, it literally means to attend to the root of things. To the kind of uh, say. Uh, it's the, the the what I like to describe as the pattern recognition faculty of mind, that seeing how one thing associates with another, or how the patterns of, of experience and you know, uh, of you know, the sense world of the the mental faculties, how how patterns form and how they relate, how things relate with one another. That's yoni so manasikara, and then the fourth one is uh, dhamma nu dhamma patipada. So practicing dhamma in a, in accordance with dhamma. So this fourth one is a, a favorite theme of mine. So this is um, putting uh, energy and effort into practicing Dhamma based on Dhamma, not based on self-view. So rather than I should develop more concentration or I need to be more disciplined or I, you know, I, uh, I need to uh, be more energetic or I need to calm down, the, the, um, the, all the eye making and mind-making uh, that can gather around spiritual effort uh, is is let go of and rather practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma is be- effort being based on mindfulness and wisdom rather than on the desire to become or the desire to get rid of. So dhamma Dhamma pati Patipati so that they're practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma. Um, and so that uh, these four, um, four uh, qualities so that if we really have compassion for others or compassion for ourselves <laughs> <laughs> Than to to uh, say encourage and to establish uh, or to help someone to to be uh, say developing these qualities or within our own lives to to be developing that that's kind of creating the 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 causes uh, developing the the basis for this um, this breakthrough the uh, the realization of stream entry to be uh, to be actualized so so drawing close to good people. Uh, Paying attention to uh, skillful teachings, uh, the development of wise reflection, and practicing in accordance with reality, rather than in accordance with self-view and habit and compulsion. Uh, And uh, uh, and these are the things that will, say, um, help to make a fertile ground for that realization to to be fulfilled, that aspiration uh, to be fulfilled. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this afternoon. So we have a microphone there we can <clears throat> there's a few questions that have been have been sent in I start, last week i started off with questions from the, the the people gathered here i think this week i'll start off with some of the um the sent in questions how does one ascertain that one is Quote unquote, capital letters, a sotapanna, profound experience, fetter release, etc. How does one ascertain one is not quote unquote in capital letters a sotapanna? Is it to correct? Is it correct to claim to others that one is a sotapanna? And the last one: Can a sotapanna still be born as a human with an ignoble birth? <laughs> That's four questions. <laughs> Just. In there. In the first one, um, well, in the Dīgha Nikaya, the long discourses, the the discourse about the Buddha's last days, the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, there's a, a dialogue between the, the the Buddha and Venerable Ananda, and uh, Venerable Ananda is asking the Buddha um, about you know, what level of realization different people have have uh, have experienced in different places. Well, you know, what are the people in this town? What about the people in this town? And, and the Buddha said, oh, there's so many stream there's so many once-returners, there's so many non-returners. And he goes through a, a few different places and then the Buddha uh, gently sort of chides Ananda says, Ananda, there's no end to the, <laughs> to the number of people you're going to ask about. So uh, he said, you can, um, uh, uh, you can use a, a simple measure uh, rather than asking me all these, say, descriptions about who's, who's realized what in which town. Um, and it's called the Mirror of the Dhamma. So, if you want to look it up, is that Sutta number sixteen in the, um, uh, the the discourse on the Buddha's last days and the Long Discourses. And uh, if you look up Mirror of the Dhamma, then you'll, you'll find it. And it, it's uh, uh, the uh, the definition that is used there. So, it's it's not the all that is subject to arising is subject to cessation, but um, or that. Um, that person has seen the deathless. Uh, another way of uh, that, is, uh, is, uh, that realization is phrased in this mirror of the Dhamma, as the Buddha describes it, is if one has unshakable faith in the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, and uh, the the person's uh, conduct is uh, is spotless, if they're their sila, they're uh, say their the morality of their behaviour is is flawless. So if they if they keep good sila, so he says, if uh, if one has unshakable faith in Buddha Dhamma and Sangha and has a flawless is flawless in their observance of sila, then they can um, uh, they can know that they have realised the, the fruit of stream entry. So uh, um, that uh, is one measure that one can use. Um, how does one ascertain that one is not a sotapanna? <laughs> well, again, this uh, I feel a little bit cautious, even, <laughs> even speaking about this. I mean, quoting the, the the Buddha's comments from the Mirror of the Dhamma uh, passage—that's that's one thing—but I, I feel that sense of um, uh, it really is to be um, developing a confidence in one own, one's own experience and say, well what 's going on in this mind? How does this m- mind relate to gain and loss to comfort and discomfort to praise and criticism um, how uh, how much does the mind get drawn into things that are unskillful um, how uh, how, do, uh, how does the mind say relate to to uh, unskillful action or to the um, the unskillful action of, of others you know that the the um, the the act or, or the process of getting to know your own attitudes of getting your own mind and not looking for some sort of external validation or some kind of uh, measure but rather to um to 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 look and i think particularly that um uh, the the um, the second of those fetters to uh, get beyond doubt like to know this is the path and to uh, and to have that sense of confidence of well, regardless of what somebody else says or somebody else has got a strong opinion of you know, this is the way you should practice or this is really important or they you've got to use this kind of spiritual mythology or this kind of languaging you've got to talk about um God or you, you, you know you, you got you uh, you have to talk about um uh you know the um say the the development of, of spiritual qualities in, in terms of of uh you know this or that conceptual form it's like well uh, yeah they can they can say that or they're very sure about that but there's a recognition of well uh, i, uh, I uh, this this mind here knows what reduces suffering and that if this track is followed then the the mind will be steadily more you know, free of its obstructions and and so irrespective of what somebody else says whether they feel very sure of their own rightness a sense of well uh, they they uh, have that perspective. They're very welcome to that. But you know this uh, this is very clear to me. It's like if someone says that shoe doesn't fit you. you say well, um, <laughs> these are my shoes, <laughs> and uh, and the, the the my experience is that they they fit. So that it's not. Uh, and someone says, well, no, they don't really fit you. You know they. And he says, well, you're entitled to that opinion. But they're my shoes that are on my feet, and they, they feel quite comfortable. So I'm. Uh, I don't have to think about it, I know that the, this this is a fit. Uh, maybe that's not a very good example, but it's in a sense that kind of wordless, non-conceptual knowing uh, within one's own heart, within one's own mind and not needing uh, validation from outside or saying, those, those shoes fit you very well. It's like, well, yeah, I know, <laughs> I'm wearing them, they fit me. <laughs> those shoes don't fit you, though, well, actually they do, but you know, you're entitled to say they don't, but that's your business. But there's a direct, non-conceptual, uh, immediate knowing that, uh, uh, and so that uh, I would say is a, a kind of guideline. And then the uh, also the way that uh, kind of how quickly the mind picks up on, say, uh, the habits of self-view. When you know that when you talk about your name or your nationality or your age or your gender or your qualifications or your uh, your story. Um, or you know when the you know the conventions of the society and, and social values how how immediately how quickly the mind recognizes well yeah that's 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 what we agree to call that valuable or we agree to call that beautiful or yeah that that's the name i have at the moment or yes that i'm called that because that's what the the, the name i was given when i became a monk or what well, my parents name my parents gave me uh, well that's what this town is called at the moment but there's an immediate knowing like saying this is Hertfordshire uh, up until the early 70s this was Bedfordshire um, they changed the county boundaries so what was Bedfordshire became Hertfordshire because some people in a government office decided okay <laughs> this is no longer Bedfordshire this is now Hertfordshire before that you know, many centuries ago this was I think part of the kingdom of Essex and before that then, and so on and so forth the what, what's, what is this place? <laughs> before uh, the English Sangha Trust purchased this property in 1984, this was St. Margaret's School. It's not St. Margaret's School anymore, it's Amravati. It wasn't Amravati before 1983, now it's Amravati. <laughs> so it's a name. So how quickly the mind uh, recognizes that, this is Amravati. Well, yes, that's the convention, and we live here, and we've put up these buildings, and we call it Amravati, and that's, that can only be a convention, it's a human agreement. So that kind of uh, the the quickness with which the mind recognizes those attachments to personality and personal uh, stories, to social conventions and so on—that's also, I feel, a fairly reliable measure. Uh, then, is it correct to claim to others that one is a sotapanna? I'd say a very bad idea. <laughs> the, the, uh, whether it's true or not, it's a uh, uh, you know, the, the whole convention within uh, at least the Theravada Buddhist world is to not make any uh, uh, comments about spiritual realization and to, to not emphasize that so as a, as a monastic, even if one did have a, a, a level of realization it's an offense So uh, to, for a monastic to mention that to a lay person even if it's true um, and it's on a level of telling a deliberate lie or killing an animal. So it's a sort of, it's a fairly substantial wrongdoing, uh, even if it's true. And if it's not true, then it's a, if you make a claim to a, a state of realization that you haven't achieved and you know it's a lie, then your monastic life is over then and there. So if I said you know, to this group of people here, you know, I'm an Arahant, and if I meant it and I meant you to believe that to be true, I would now no longer be a monk with saying those words, if I intended them to be understood uh, and that uh, my intention was to deceive you, I would already not be a monk. Just like that, just that's it, finito. I might be, still be wearing the robes, but my bhikkhu life would be over. It's called a defeat rule. So the, the Buddha established it very, very seriously that uh, uh, it's a very significant thing that you shouldn't be overstating your uh, spiritual and qualities, um, and particularly as a deliberate lie to, to deceive others. But even if it's true, it's not something to emphasize or make much of because people get um, carried away with those kind of um, uh, uh, elements of, of st- they, they, they read it in terms of status and then they, they get, um, people easily get intoxicated or carried away with those kind of ways of labeling other people. And uh, I, I, f- I feel it's very, very skillful what we have in the in the southern Buddhist world where that's sort of put to one side or not made much of, and so that the actual spiritual qualities are there, that, that are there, they have their own good effect. They don't have to be sort of worn like a badge, you know, like a kind of how many stripes have you got on your uniform, like all these sort of pips on your shoulders. So, you know, you're a, uh, you know, a sergeant or a captain or a... a uh, uh, a major, or a colonel, or a general, or, or a marshal. It's like well, the um, and I, I feel that's one of the skillful things that the uh, within the, the Southern Buddhist world, the 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 robes of a newly ordained monastic are exactly the same as the robes of someone whose their their role is is like as a supreme patriarch of the of the order of the Sangharaja. The robes are exactly the same. Uh, and uh, oh, like arahants don't get a purple robe. <laughs> no, the, anyone who's realised a particular level of, of um, insight, there's no there's no external insignia uh, that that mark that. And I feel that's a, a very wholesome, very valuable uh, tradition. So maybe if uh, there's a before we go on to any more, uh, if there's any questions or comments from people gathered here, we have a. A microphone, if there's anything to ask. Silence reigns. What about me, Ajahn? Am I... (laughs) No, No questions? No comments? Okay. So, um... What role does the Noble Eightfold Path play in becoming a stream entrant? I've heard that stream entry means entering the stream, and here the stream is said to be the Noble Eightfold Path. If one enters the Noble Eightfold Path only at the point of becoming a stream entrant, prior to entering the stream, what role does the Noble Eightfold Path play? Are there any suttas in the Pali Canon which talk about the importance of the Noble Eightfold Path for stream entry? There are stories in the Pali Canon where people have attained Sotapati, stream entry, seemingly by listening to Dhamma alone. Great if Pante could share some thoughts on this. Um, yeah, well, good question. I think there's there's a, you know the um, uh, uh, let's see in the middle length discourses there's a, a sutta uh, I couldn't swear to which number it is, <laughs> but uh, where the Buddha speaks about. Uh, practicing the, the mundane Eightfold Path and the super-mundane Eightfold Path. And I think that's a, a helpful way of of um, regarding it. I think it's either Sutta 113 or 137. I can't remember which one. <laughs> one of those. Uh, so he says the mundane Eightfold Path is like, yeah, there's a practicing of the Eightfold Path, yeah, but it's in terms of self-view. Like, I want to establish right view. I'm trying to have right intention, uh, right resolution. I I, sh, I I want to develop right speech. I want to develop right livelihood, that, so that the mind is recognizing these are wholesome qualities. They are uh, setting the your life, your mind in the, in a good direction. But it's still, it's being picked up from the basis of, of self view. Rather like uh, I think a week or two ago I was mentioning how in the chanting, you know, we say you know in the. The five subjects of frequent recollection, I am of the nature to age, I have not gone beyond aging, I am of the nature to sick and I have not gone beyond sickness, I am of the nature to die, I have not gone beyond dying, uh, and, so, and so forth. You're starting off from that position of self-view. Uh, may I abide in well-being in the sutta on developing loving-kindness? It's, you're starting from, here. Yeah, may I, <laughs> I want to abide in well-being so that you're starting from where you are. You're starting from the, the habits of self-view. I'm a person. This is my body. This is my, my life, my personality. You know, this is me. I am Ajahn Amaro and I am 65 years old. So, um, so practicing the Eightfold Path from that basis of, of a conditioned, um, uh, and sort of self-centered perspective, it's fine, it's, it's setting things in a good direction. Just like, you know, your, your first day in a language class, you know, you want to learn Chinese or French or German or English, you know, first day in the class getting, getting your, your head around the initial phrases, you don't expect to be speaking fluently by by the end of the class. It's like, no, you get a few basic elements in place and then, you know, day by day, week by week, month by month, you slowly develop a, a skill and so uh, developing the eightfold path and and um these spiritual qualities it's exactly the same way just appreciating the value of the, the eightfold path the pariyatti studying them remembering what the eight are <laughs> okay, okay right view yeah, right intention right speech right action right livelihood uh, right effort you know <laughs> right uh, right mindfulness right concentration yeah. okay got all eight very good I think. (laughs) So, yeah, you just remember the names, you get a feeling for what they're referring to, you practice with them. So that's a mundane eightfold path. And then as insight ripens uh, and uh, the spiritual qualities develop, then um, the the super mundane eightfold path, where the eightfold path is being uh, developed free of conceit, free of self-view, and that um, it's a... uh, um, Co- is connected with the goal, whereas the mundane Eightfold Path is is still got worldly aspects to it. Um, so I would say that uh, um, I w- you, you don't, you know, you, uh, one doesn't just enter the Noble Eightfold Path only at the point of becoming a stream entrant. You know, you can draw close to the path and, and get to know the path, but the entering the stream, uh, I would say, is uh, again, it's it's related to that. I would say the the um, uh, that super the the path has a uh, in its supramundane mode that sense of of um developing the path free of um self view and you know, free of attachment to uh conventions and, and free uh, of doubt uh, and then uh, it's developed in a in in that sort of supramundane mode yeah that uh, so anyway that the uh, again, uh, the sutta, which sutras in the Pali canon, talk about that. Again, it's it's either a sutta 113 or 137. Maybe somebody here. 137, 137. thank you very much. Good. Validation from the floor here, thank you. Much appreciated. <laughs> so, sutta 137 is that one with the mundane and supramundane eightfold path. Okay. Um, So there uh, there is a quote, shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Um, Going by this advice, is it good for lay people to aim for Nibbāna rather than Sotapati? One who aims for Sotapati only might not put in enough effort and might pass away without becoming a stream entrant. But if one aims for Nibbāna, or arahantship, I guess, is what they mean, one might put in a lot of effort, as it's perceived to be much more difficult, and in the process, at least attain Sotapati before passing away. Are there any sutras in the Pali Canon where the Lord Buddha encourages people to aim for Sotapati, or is it the case that the Lord Buddha's advice is for all practitioners to aim for Nibbana, the highest bliss? Um, uh, I don't know where that shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. You don't actually... <laughs> Landing amongst the stars, they only they only look like a field with little sort of bright spots in them. From where we're sitting, there, there's a lot of space between those those big bright spots. <laughs> um, and so that um, I would say there's, a, there's a, a few flaws, flaws, with that uh, that saying. Um, the uh, shoot for the moon, even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Um, I'm not sure where that comes from, but uh, yeah, that uh, it's a um, uh, I think, in the, in the light of what I was saying about uh, the encouragement from Ajahn I feel that's really um, uh, it's got a lot of validity to it uh, because often the the my experience of, of teaching meditation for you know, thirty years, thirty forty years or something, forty years probably now, um, is that the uh, uh, ha- that sense of having a very very high ideal and then Failing at it often leads people to be um, sort of de- depressed or feeling that they're, they're unworthy, and that, uh, or they read stories about people re- realizing complete enlightenment, and they feel I can never do that, or I'm not good enough, um, and that having a more doable goal. And certainly, the, um, the the there's many many instances in the suttas of people hearing a dhamma talk uh, realize stream entry is is very uh, is very very common, and that. Um, so uh, I do. Uh, I can see the point of this. You know, if you aim for total enlightenment, but you just fall short, you might uh, reach uh, stream entry, and and that's a, a nice benefit. If you're only aiming for stream entry, you might not even make that. But you know, different different strokes for different folks. Different things work for different people, and I feel that that. Um, yeah, Ajahn is a very wise person. has a lot, even more experience of, uh, as a teacher and a, as a leader of Dhamma communities than, than myself. And, uh, and the, he, uh, I feel, um, uh, said chose that approach for, based on very much on his own experience, and that by um, coming from a much more practical and uh, and realistic basis for practice rather than an idealistic one. Of, I want the best, I want the highest, and I'm going to go for that. Yeah, the more that we can approach uh, the, the practice of Dhamma from where we are, you know, starting from where we are, and, uh, and a, a practical recognition of our own capacities, our own situation, uh, and the way life is, rather than starting from an idealistic point of view, like we start with the ideal and then the, the, the practical reality is faint but pursuing... <laughs> Uh, that's a very strong Western trait. You start with the ideal and then sort of drag the reality <laughs> along behind it. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that living with, with Ajahn Pasana for many years, and I also see very valuable for my own practice, is that rather than start starting from how things should be, start from where you are. You know, if you compare yourself to the Buddha image and say, "I want to be able to sit like the Buddha image, perfectly straight, alert, peaceful, relaxed." and the uh, then I want to be like that all the time. That's how I always want to be. But uh, we, we can't fulfill that ideal. Uh, again, like, like uh, Lumpur Samadhi would often say, you know, the Buddha image doesn't have any knee pain. It doesn't need to eat or breathe. <laughs> yeah, it's not alive. It's an ideal. It serves as an ideal. It sets a, a direction or a goal, but uh, it's an ideal. Uh, and we have these bodies that do feel pain. They do need to breathe. They do need to eat. Um, they have their limitations. This is where we start from. This is the material that we're working with. And so I I do feel that's a a skillful way of approaching things. And that, um, so I would um, sort of say that, um, you know, everyone's entitled to their own manner of approach, and if someone, say, um, sets that intention to, to realize total and complete enlightenment, Then um, and then that's that's realised. Well, sadhu anamodana. But uh, I feel that starting from the reality of this body, this mind, this life, (laughs) this personality, this set of conditions as they are, uh, and then setting a a a doable goal, uh, then that we we are. working with a practical reality starting with that practical reality rather than trying to start with an ideal Uh, and that the um, the effects of that uh, again in my own experience are are, are radically different because you if you sort of clutch an ideal and try to uh, inhabit that ideal things are uh, are usually out of balance or the you, you can't fulfill that ideal but if you start from, from where you are you use the ideal as something to give a direction but you're bringing your attention to how this body is how this mind is this this mood in, in this moment then the the quality of acceptance and attunement to to this felt living reality you're, you're starting from that basis uh, of of uh, that Uh, appreciation of the reality of here and now, rather than uh, starting from an idea or a mental image of how things should be. So, let's see. Um, Is Buddhism's Eightfold Path the only way to become a stream-enterer? Or could, say, a Christian who has a Gnostic, that's G-N-O-S-T-I-C, Gnostic, comes from the same root as Jnana, uh, Gnosis, um, in the... In English, it comes from um, uh, the the Greek root, but uh, it's related to the Pali jnana, knowledge or knowing. Um, If a Christian has a Gnostic meditation practice, also able to become a stream-enterer. Well, there's an interesting teaching where the Buddha says, um, if a a spiritual path, um, if a spiritual teaching, if it embodies um, the Eightfold Path, like sila, samadhi, panya, then it can lead towards liberation if it doesn't embody sila, samadhi, and panya then it can't so in that respect it's kind of secondary how we phrase it the language that we use for those, uh, those qualities so they could be phrased in theistic terms or not but as long as those qualities are there <laughs> the virtue, uh, concentration or, or mental, mental focus mental collectedness and, and, wis- uh, and wisdom uh, liberating wisdom if those three qualities are there, regardless of how they're named—whether you're using a Pali name, or a Sanskrit name, or a Greek name, or or whatever—then um, that can lead towards liberation. It doesn't. The Buddha doesn't say it necessarily would, but the ingredients are there. But if a path doesn't have those those elements of sila, samadhi, and panya then it can't lead to liberation. So. Um, uh, Again, someone might say, but Ajahn, you said the mirror of the Dhamma, perfect faith in Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, so therefore only Buddhists can become stream entrants. <laughs> I say, well, what do those words mean, Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha? You know, does, uh, is that confined to the religious conventions of Buddhism or Theravada Buddhism? Uh, yeah, if, we, if we look at Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha as inner psychological qualities, that yes they 're manifested in terms of you know Gotama Buddha as this great spiritual teacher or the Dhamma uh, as described by the Buddha or the Sangha as sort of manifested through the monastic conventions or the the levels of of insight as described in the uh, in the the Pali Canon and so on, but if you look at the inner qualities of wisdom uh, the the Buddha meaning the mind which is awake, which is aware. Dhamma, which is the fundamental nature of reality. Sangha, the the way I like to define the inner quality of sangha is that that in the heart which delights in the good, that uh, delights in wholesomeness, uh, I would say, and it might seem a bit heretical to say this, but uh, those B- Buddhism doesn't have a monopoly on those qualities. It doesn't have a monopoly on wisdom, truth, and virtue. So I would say you can have perfect faith in the, the actuality, so that the genuine so sort of mental, spiritual qualities of wisdom, truth, and virtue, and not be using Buddhist language or Buddhist conventions at all. You know, the, 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 the Dhamma itself, it's, uh, when we, we recollect the qualities of the Dhamma, it doesn't mention anything about the Pali Canon. It's sanditiko, akaliko, ehipasiko, opanayiko, uh, apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading inwards to be realized by each person for themselves. Those are very much a, sort of a inner qualities uh, uh, of, uh, of the experience of, of reality, the knowing of reality. So, again, it might sound a little bit heretical, but I would say that um, that uh, comment of of the Buddhas, that uh, there's the actuality of uh, of virtue, of mental collectedness, and of wisdom, Panya, which is, uh, again, the the use of the word wisdom in Buddhism isn't knowing facts about something, which would be more in the realm of knowledge or conceptual uh, information, uh, understanding, but wisdom panya is is a wordless, non-conceptual quality of of knowing of of awareness, and so that that the the, the actuality of of wisdom is uh, the, it's not about knowing information or even having a an, an intellectual framework, but rather it's that quality of uh, awakened awareness itself. So that if a path embodies those qualities of um, sila, somari, Panya, regardless of the language that's used for them, I'd say that it can be a a valid uh, mode of uh, liberation. Um, Let's see. Okay, so, let's see. Um. Before the Buddha died, I read he identified four pairs of disciples who have no comparison and who thus should be emulated. Two nuns, two monks, two laywomen and two laymen. Can you tell us more about these disciples? Did they all become stream enterers? Could the two laymen be a helpful helpful role model for me? Bearing in mind uh, myself being a lay meditator in distress, and if so, where can I find out more about them and their lives and the interpretations of the Buddha's teaching? Um, well, um, generally, and I'll let this be the last question. Uh, I couldn't uh, n- uh, name off the top of my head exactly which of the sort of, two monks, two nuns, two monks, two laymen, and uh, two laywomen and two laymen. I think the two nuns would have been. Uh, the Arahant nun's uh, sister, Kema, and the Arahant nun, uh, Uplavana, and I think um, that, uh, so the, the, those two were known as the the um, one who most accomplished in teaching Dhamma, so the Venerable Sister Kema, I think was the one most accomplished in teaching, and uh, the uh, Arahant, uh, Venerable Sister Upalawana was the one most accomplished in psychic powers, so a kind of counterpart to Sariputra and Mogalana, and so the two monks would have been Venerable Sariputra, uh, most accomplished in um, in teaching and in in uh, the ability to explain Dhamma, and then Mahamogalana, most accomplished in psychic powers. Uh, uh, i'm a little embarrassed i can't name the exactly which two laywomen and and two laymen men, um, but if you look in uh, the book um, called the the buddha's great disciple great disciples of the buddha and that's edited by a uh, venerable nyanaponika and Helmut hecker uh, that's a great collection of the lives of the great disciples and um, and uh, 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 different stories will inspire different people people who have had um different difficulties and and spiritual crises uh, this person is d- describing themselves as a a meditator in distress and having said uh, in an earlier part of this, this same question i meditated for many years and suddenly i couldn't do so anymore without huge risk to my safety and i've come across so many others who've been so harmed by their meditation practice yet who feel lost and despair without having meditation in their lives any longer yeah uh, I, I, um, I couldn't say exactly what lies behind that experience, but certainly, in the lives of, of many of the Buddhas, uh, quite a number of the Buddhas' disciples they had very, very difficult experiences along the way, both as uh, as people and as monastics. That, um, some of them close to to, a, to suicide, you know, like the, the uh, li- you know, literally sort of sitting on a branch of a tree with a rope around their neck, you know, ready ready to jump to end their life. Huh? One one monk who said, you know, 25 years as a monk and not a finger snap of peace. And he's sort of ready to to end his life. And uh, so there's uh, certainly experiences of frustration and distress and difficulty uh, in the monastic community, the lay community, and um, great difficulties that people, uh, people dealt with. But um, yeah, I would say... Um, uh, find a copy of that book, uh, the "Great Disciples of the Buddha." It's a, a very uh, inspiring, beautiful read. Kind of, you, it really draws you into the experience of the lives of, of the Buddha's disciples, both you know, lay practitioners and and monastics. And you get, you really get a, a direct and close feel for the the, the uh, immense uh, struggles and the the effort, the the dedication that people had to to work with their difficulties. That uh, uh, the people who uh, you know, lost their children, um, and that uh, say that their children had died young, or that um, they've been, uh, uh, say, caught up in in uh, uh, killing people, or uh, caught up in, in you know, really uh, painful and unskillful lives, kind of really trapped in a, in miserable home lives, and and so and many in various different difficulties. And different stories will will speak to different people. So rather than saying, oh, you know, you should read this story or or read that story, you're not knowing the the person who's asked the question, that uh, there's a lot of distress and people who are feeling, say, frustrated and difficulty, frustration and difficulty. It's kind of unusual where someone... Goes along to a dhamma talk with the Buddha and says, Yes, wonderful, marvelous. <laughs> and then they're able to leave the their, their household life and then they enter into monastic life and you know, live happily ever after. That, uh, it, uh, that's not that common a story. So I would recommend finding a copy of that book, Great Disciples of the Buddha by uh, Venerable Nyanaponika and Helmut Hecker. I think it's a wisdom publication. Uh, I believe that wisdom publication has done a translation into English. And then pick through and see which of the stories that are there that uh, that speak to one, and uh, I, I, you'll probably find there's certain situations that people experience they can you can empathise with, and it's those uh, qualities of, of despair or reaching a, a dead end and and difficulty and a sense of uh, inability to practice, or, or, or the social situation where you you aren't able to practice that you're kind of. Um, harassed by the family or the society, and that you you can't follow your own spiritual aspiration because of social forces. Um, but uh, do, you know, there there are stories in there that one can uh, one can relate to and see which one speaks to you, and then out of that sense of of uh, empathy or being able to relate to uh, what's there, then uh, hopefully there'll be some some of those lives that uh, they can inform and encourage and and. Uh, they can find a way forward. Yeah, Ajahn Chah often uh, talked about how, in his own life as a monk, he he get, had this kind of repeated um, experience, uh, like a kind of nimitta or a vision in his meditation. I think even uh, as a dream sometimes, and he would be crossing this bridge, and this bridge came to a sort of dead end, and he kept getting sort of a certain distance across the bridge, and the bridge the bridge just ended. You know, over and over again, he could get that far, and it just and there was like no way forward and that was something that he he mentioned in many many Dhamma talks and was a an abiding experience for a long time and that sense of of uh, there's no there's no way forward I can't uh, I nothing, nothing I can do with this and the feelings of, of frustration or difficulty and uh, and distress that that came from that and uh, so that they, these these experiences of of um of difficulty and uh, feeling uh, obstruction or or blocked in the path these are these are not uncommon but they're you know the uh, i feel that one of the benefits of uh, listening to teachings and reflecting on that and and also drawing upon uh, asking for advice and drawing upon the experience of spiritual friends that can help us to find ways forward that we when we felt that you know there's no way forward So, well the mind can say that there's no way forward but doesn't necessarily mean that's the whole story it doesn't mean it's it's the truth it just means that's the experience in this moment and if we uh, say cultivate that quality of wise reflection and we uh, say draw close to good people that's sapurisa sangseva draw uh, and then look to our spiritual friends and often we find that there are ways forward that we didn't even realize were there so I offer these thoughts for consideration this afternoon This is the uh, last of the uh, Sunday talks for this year, so um, hopefully what has been said on these Sunday afternoons has been beneficial. It's all been recorded and filmed and (laughs) posted, so whatever is of benefit, please take it and use it. Whatever is not of benefit, then just leave it aside. Go well.